Hey, this is the last coffee house. So we are talking about Sam Harris reading list, The Knowledge Illusion by Stephen Sloman and Philip Fernback. Fernbach? Fernback? Fernbach. So I recorded a very long book review of 2019. I went over most of the books that I talked about in 2019 and that I read or was reading. And it's long, it's like an hour long. So I don't know when that's coming out or if that's coming out in that form or if it's coming out at all. So I'm doing the Sam Harris reading list. This is the first one of 2020, the next decade, 2020 to 2030. It's going to be the best decade in history. But I'm doing the, the Knowledge Illusion here, a subtitle, Why We Never Think Alone, published in 2000. 16 I think so what we're looking at this year I want to get a whole bunch of books in and I'll kind of let the books be the guide for me being able to express political and literary and artistic ideas as opposed to making separate episodes but I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure how I'm going to do it anyway Steve Sloman is a professor of cognitive linguistic and psychological sciences Fernbach is a cognitive scientist and a professor of marketing I think again this is the knowledge illusion anybody who's been following <laughs> the kinds of things I like and don't like to probably understand that uh, I'm biased in favor of, of this idea already, so I'll try to be objective. The book specifically talks about the limitations of homo sapiens, human beings, when it comes to knowing, so epistemology. Of course, the question of what knowing actually is, is a big question, <laughs> but they're trying to come at it from a basic psychological and cognitive posture and trying to figure out, okay, what, what do we actually know and what can we know and how do people function with this whole idea of knowledge brings up first one of the first examples the, the atomic bombs and how they were wrong about the strength of the bomb and that could have been very consequential to be wrong about that so it's really important to know what we know <laughs> and know what we don't know but we don't know what we don't know so it's it's really important on undertaking to understand where we are on that and they bring up the illusion of understanding and how dangerous that is one of the phrases they use is the illusion of explanatory depth as a concept for how people think about about how they know what they know or they feel like they have this this depth of knowledge about things when they really have very surface level understanding there are these people what are they hyperthymegics or something like that uh, they're uh, recorded like 55 of them but they remember every day of their literally every day of their life as far as uh, probably not when they came out of the womb but <laughs> <laughs> but they remember every day of their life. If they, if you give them a certain date, you know, 20 years ago, then they'll be able to recount for you, okay, what happened that day? What did I have for breakfast? What did I do? Which sounds like a superpower, but apparently it's absolutely debilitating because every day they relive their entire lives. It just, it's constantly going. Anything that they see can remind them of, you know, a thousand other days where something related to that happened. They talk about how uh, jellyfish have 800 neurons, human, humans have billions of neurons, neurons crow is the most clever animal i made that note <laughs> so that's awesome crows are every time i see a crow i just think about death so it makes me concerned the most clever animal they talk about how we have bad intuitive understanding so if you try to uh, understand something like physics intuitively you're going to struggle at it or anything else intuitively because our brains aren't really built for that it brings up ai and the kind of ai the initial kind of ai and i remember reading about this at some point where they were trying to build a machine that would be able to go through the desert by itself and be fine and they built an ai that just tried to figure out the best route you know the optimal route and then just did it and it just wouldn't work it just stopped dead and wouldn't be able to do anything but when they figured out something that went on probabilities you know probability of one way versus another way and then choosing the most probable option then it did it just fine and early ai was more like the former where it would just plan everything out perfectly and then execute it but it wouldn't be able to do it because it wouldn't be able to figure finalize the planning and then they went over to more animal decision making which i mean it's probably an over 
overstatement to call the AI animal decision making, but where it's more probabilistic and it's not so rigid. And he talks about, or the authors talk about optic flow. Like when you're, when you're driving and there are lines on the road and they're just solid straight lines, you've got this optic flow that you can follow those along. And when you run into lines, like when human beings run into lines that seem like they're moving faster, like they're closer together. So that it seems like they're moving past faster. People will slow down. And that's just a quirk of our psychology that people, that the people who line roads use to, to make us more effective at driving. So it's interesting. They bring up this concept of body being involved in cognition, which is an interesting concept. I remember reading at some point about how dinosaurs, a lot of dinosaurs actually had secondary brains in their guts. And that might be something that you have to think of an organism. It's not just brain separate from everything else, but that the whole thing has to work together. So, so the body, it's not just the, the brain is doing all the cognition. There's something else going on with the body. And there's a, a difference between humans and other animals in that humans can share their cognition like babies can share their cognition by like pointing at something say look look at my cognition and see what i'm doing here whereas chimps can't and i've <laughs> i ran into this idea before and i was pretty sure i've seen a chimp point at something and <laughs> trying to share their cognition but i don't know <laughs> so apparently that's a distinction though and one of the big ideas about this this book wants to talk about is cumulative culture and cumulative thinking so that we accumulate knowledge and that's how we think about things is just by putting us all together and that's what we have to work on and be more collaborative in that and rely more on that rather than uh, the individuals. So there are collaborative platforms like blockchain and he's, the authors are saying that that's kind of the next step in, in the way that we're going to be able to interact with each other or have knowledge. They talk about the suspicion of science, you know, things like GMOs, uh, genetically modified organisms. Is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, and how people are really suspicious of those and they think that if you put a spinach gene in an orange, then it's going to make it taste like spinach, you know, that... <laughs> that kind of a thing because they don't have they have a science knowledge deficit they don't understand how science works and that if you you take the gene from the spinach it's not taking some of the spinach and just sprinkling it on the orange it's a functional gene that does something that will do something in the orange and then they go into politics. They talk about Obamacare. They talk about how people are really passionate on issues they know very little about. Insert like climate change or the wage gap or something like that. I hate to put those two things together because the wage gap is just absolute fear-mongering nonsense. Climate change is something that just needs to be understood better. <laughs> So, but anyway, people get really passionate about things that they know very little about that are complex issues. So that's a problem. And when they do that, they talk about how if you ask for a causal explanation of something where they have to actually figure out how it works internally, then their certainty will be undermined. So if there's like a policy, a political policy that somebody's so passionate about, and then you start asking them, okay, what are the actual causal consequences of that policy? And they have to go through it piece by piece, then it'll be undermined. They won't be so sure about it. Then he brings up the whole incest typo that's used in the righteous mind, which is a really interesting idea. I mean, obviously, it just gets at our internal intuitive senses, which you could probably use for virtually anything. Uh, but it is interesting because it makes people really come to grips with that idea about if they if they use protection and they weren't hurting anybody, then why not? Is that a bad thing? Uh, then you have to realize that, okay, well, it's just intuitive. It's just something I feel like shouldn't be the case. It's not something I'm reasoning to. And he talks about how people use sacred values 
values instead of causal reasoning because sacred values are easier when it comes to politics and that our understanding is actually remarkably shallow and that we have to rely on experts and he goes into that for a bit where he talks about how you can't just obviously be obsequious you can't just be like oh expert whatever you say um, but we do have to rely on experts a lot and I love one of my favorite Churchill quotes the best argument against democracy is a five minute conversation with the average voter which uh, <laughs> is definitely my shared sentiment and scary it's very scary but at the same time you don't want an oligarchy or elites who just get to decide everybody else's fate because people are going to abuse whatever system is in place he talks about representative democracy over direct democracy uh, which I am definitely for <laughs> and one of the problems with asking for an explanation of a policy like the consequences and the causal reasoning or the causal situation there explanation is that it makes people mad <laughs> people will get frustrated if you ask them for something like that that's the cognitive response and there's not a whole lot you can do about that and quotes Voltaire illusion is the first of all pleasures good job Voltaire but if you try instead of just showing that that person is ignorant if you try to show that everybody's ignorant then it has a much better effect when it comes to the emotional response brings up uh, different major movements like Indian independence MLK and how those major things and like other things that were going on in the 60s we tend to put a primary importance on the individual but re the reality is there was so much else going on that led to this upheaval you know it's not just that Steve Jobs was the lone genius who figured all this stuff out there were a whole bunch of other things that were around that he used and he was the conduit for it <laughs> just like MLK was the conduit for it but there were a lot of things going on that were much more complex than simply this person came out and figured this stuff out brings up general intelligence and how important that is so the G score and the battery tests and it compares you to other people uh, which is I mean there there's some controversy around it I mean, as far as I know not among scientists but when it comes to just your general intelligence and the predictability of that when it comes to your life and the rest of your life and how well you're going to do on anything there's some controversy that we just get a score and that's how we're going to be in life interestingly the G score didn't impact horse betting who to thunk and there he brings up which is very important to me there are millions of other factors that impact all sorts of the stuff whether the G score is still the best predictor or not it is but there's so many other factors like confidence like whether you've had coffee that day and millions of other things that impact you and he talks about uh, kind of education and how we should be teaching method instead of like just the basic facts when it comes to science 100% behind that just like you should be teaching a way to think not what to think in college and it seems like they're going the other direction or so you know think these think that think this about gender think that about American history instead of this is how you think now what's going on here <laughs> you know you figure it out it's really frustrating uh, goes into communal thinking kind of a generic reference to compound interest and how we don't have an intuitive sense of that and why ask why don't people buy annuities even though they're so great because people can't really understand them so they just stay away from it brings up libertarian paternalism the government just nudges so it's like opt out instead of opt in so it nudges you in the right directions hopefully the right directions and not some tyrannical direction and brings up the generic academic response to things that challenge orthodoxy in academic circles first they ignore it then they reject it then they call it obvious <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty funny i mean it's fast you definitely i'm sure you see it all the time because people have egos and people have to protect those egos so that's what happens uh the themes as recounted by the authors are about ignorance and just our general ignorance illusion of understanding so we even though we're ignorant we think we understand and communal knowledge being the thing that we have and the thing that we need to emphasize now i'm generally partial to this book i, I actually like it quite a bit there are some criticisms and it gets into some kind of arcane philosophy <laughs> 
It's just like, uh, it gets in the fact that these are actually way more complex than just, do we know or do we not know? You know, did we know that the fact was correct or did we not know the fact was correct? You know, there, it actually gets really complex. And there's this author, R.S. Bacher, I don't know the full name, in an article titled Three Pound Brain, where he or she actually goes into some pretty extensive criticism of the book, which is, like, I read most of the article, but I just, I don't have time. <laughs> So I have a couple of quotes here, just so we get another take on it. Quote, We generally take ourselves to have more epistemic virtue than we in fact possess for the same reason we generally take ourselves to have more virtue than we in fact possess. Because ancestrally, confabulatory self-promotion paid greater reproductive dividends than accurate self-description. The fact that we are more prone to overestimate epistemic virtue given accessibility to external knowledge sources on this account amounts to no more than the awareness than we have resources to fall back on should someone call BS. End quote. So the idea is you have to take into account our evolutionary history and what was selected for in our evolutionary history and why we have those particular emotional responses to the way that all this stuff works. So it could merely be the case that we don't have the processing power to figure all this stuff out, or it could be the case that we deliberately think in these particular ways because it conferred a benefit historically, so we have these mechanisms in our brains that are going to drive that direction no matter what we're doing. So the question, quote, so the question is, do we confabulate cognitive independence because subpersonal cognitive processing lacks the metacognitive monitoring capacity to flag problematic results, or because such confabulations facilitated ancestral reproductive success, or because of our blindness to the extended nature of knowledge renders us prone to this particular type of metacognitive error end quote. So again, what is it really? <laughs> you know, what is it really? Is it really just our lack of processing ability or is it deliberate structure, the way that we function, uh, the reason that all these things show up in the way that we try to understand things? Also, he goes into a, a whole discussion about what knowledge really is and, and how it's as mysterious as something like consciousness, although I don't think consciousness is really a thing. However, it, I mean, it's a valid criticism and it's a really deep criticism of what's going on here. There's only, in their defense, the author's defense. There's only so much you can do with, the, with this kind of a popular book. I know I'm going the other direction from what I usually do in criticizing these kinds of books, but I think they did a pretty reasonably good job of figuring out how to get a lot of these ideas across. And I think people having more humility in their ideas is so important that the better we can get that stuff across, you know, just the better for all of us. And there were some good ideas in here, like the illusion of explanatory depth. Uh, libertarian paternalism is an interesting thing to explore. Asking for a causal explanation whenever somebody's passionate about an issue you know too passionate <laughs> you know asking for consequences of a policy and it generally uh, like it it figures out a decent balance between tying the science and the things that it references to the arguments being made. It has a, a, a decent balance of those things rather than overstating or being too strident in the way that it's trying to come to conclusions. I think it, it strikes a decent balance, whereas a lot of other books just did not do that and didn't even care to. So just to like summarize, I mean, calling out homo sapiens for their nonsense when it comes to claims to knowledge is stronger than like the, like the communal knowledge thing is so big and complex and vague it's just it's kind of it's tough to really <laughs> figure anything out or how to apply any of that that idea but there were a lot of things that could be applied so i mean that's more than you can say for a lot of books there are a lot of things that can be applied and ideas that you can you can put into practice getting somebody to causally explain what they have to say and how that affected people's confidence you know on surveys or whatever people's confidence in in their conclusion anyway that's the knowledge illusion that's sam harris reading list this was the last coffee house i hope 2020 is off to a 
great start. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep going. Let's keep learning. Let's make reading great again. <laughs> I, I just want a lot of a lot of very well-informed, educated people with a lot of humility, and then we can build the best country that we can build and the best world that we can build. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs>